Welcome to Larry Reads America. This is our third podcast for veterans. And uh, tonight our guest is Chaz Kaiser. And since Chaz was on another podcast, we're just going to, we're going to start um, after high school when he decided to join the Navy. But if anyone who hasn't listen to Chaz's podcast, uh, easiest way, go to LarryBreedy.net, hit listen, scroll down. His podcast was the episode six on October 3rd, 2022. And that's basically uh, uh, about an hour's biography of where he was born, raised, what he does for a living. He's a Basically, he's an artist, so uh, uh, I would highly recommend, if you haven't listened to it, to, to listen to it. But without further ado, Chaz, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Larry. Pleasure as always. Okay. Let's get right to it. Um, when did you first start thinking about joining the Navy? I actually considered it. Early in my senior year, um, didn't really know what else to do. I'm a young guy and really didn't want to go to college, wasn't big on school. And my dad was a World War II veteran, and he really kind of liked the idea of going to, to the military. So I was entertaining it, looked at the different branches, and then I was at vocational school down in for sales and a Navy recruiter came in and I was in electronics program and they basically recruited me out of vocational school for, okay. into the advanced electronics program. Okay, so what year did you uh, join? I actually joined in 76 for what they called back then the old GI Bill for school after you get out of the Navy, but it didn't go in until September 4th. Okay, so it was a deferred enlistment. Deferred okay. enlistment, yeah. yes. Okay. So, where'd you do your basic training? Orlando. Oh. There's a reason for that. I was going to say, because my brother, he, he went to Great Lakes. <laughs> There's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. Did you get to pick it? I did. Um, they did not want to give me Orlando because Great Lakes was closer, et cetera, and they tried to do that. And he said, well, I don't think we can give you Orlando. And I said, well, I don't think I can join. And he said, well, I'll work on it. And they did. Yeah. Even a friend of mine, Paul Mall, who was in my class and a good friend of mine, he told him the same thing. He said, uh, I want to join. And he said, well, you're going to go to Great Lakes. And he said, I'm not going to do it. They actually waited a day before they called him back to give it to him. But he went to San Diego. Oh, wow. Uh, so so that was, good, that good was a good place. gig, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to go to Orlando, though, because yeah. that's where the girls yeah. went to boot camp. <laughs> well, na Navy, it's still, uh, Army was eight weeks. Is that what basic was? Yes. Okay. And where did you go for advanced basic? Well, after um, boot, right across the street uh, was uh, naval training. Mm -hmm. So you got uh, RTC Orlando, which is Recruit Training Center, and then you got uh, NTC uh, right across the street, which is Naval Training Center, and that's what I went for my uh, basic electronics and electricity, BWE school, they call it. And then from there, then you went to your A school. Now, <laughs> unfortunately... That was in Great Lakes. Okay. But now, so the, 
going to the electronic school another eight weeks? Oh, no, actually quite a bit more than that. Um, it was, I can't tell you the exact amount of weeks, but I got to Great Lakes right around, right after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's, I you got, got to Great Lakes. for the good weather. Oh, it was, <laughs> it was a blizzard of 78. They closed the base for two days. They said, guys, wear whatever clothes you got. Our windows were broke out of our barracks. We were taping paper over. Oh, it was terrible in Great Lakes. <laughs> no. It was horrible. Yeah. But then I got out of Great Lakes about mid-May. So, um, and then where did you go? Sunny Seal Beach, California. Oh, <laughs> Life is good. So, so you were in electronics while you were in the Navy. Yes, sir. Okay. How... How would you describe yourself before you joined the Navy? Now, let me let me give you three choices. Kind of crazy kid, asshole or total asshole. <laughs> Not a lot of choice there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, before I went in, you know, I was uh, I was your average kid, kind of a motorhead, loved, loved cars and yeah. and all that, and. Um, you know, I'm a small town Midwestern boy, and I get thrown into the Navy, and they don't let you sit around and think too much in, when you're in school. They keep you hustling and bustling like they do in boot camp. And then once you get to your first duty station, which was Seal Beach, California, it's like, holy Christ on crutches. Mm -hmm. What is this? It's a concrete jungle, and it is fast-paced, and it is wild, and it is fun. Mm -hmm. It is fun, fun, fun. So... You know, I, I, I was kind of starstruck for a while, I'm sure, but I got right into the groove and got myself a 1956 Chevy out there and started cruising, and it was great. Yep. Got a Harley. Well, so what your actual job in, in electronics, I guess, was probably a five, eight, eight, eight hour day, five day a week job or not. <laughs> This is so good, Larry. Probably not. Don't tell me it's too good because <laughs> it's very good. Uh, it was. It's so good. I can sum it up by saying, if they'd have let me at Seal Beach, I'd have been a lifer. Really? It was that good. Um, I was a missile technician. I was on a naval weapons station, so I built and and uh, tested missile sections and missiles and all that. Um, and. The work was fine, you know, it was okay. But when we first got there, this is actually what they call an R and R base. So E six E sevens were there. I'm an E three, and the reason they did that, this is really cool. When I got done with my schooling, they had overmanned my rating, so they didn't have any billets on chips. So. And you fill out a dream sheet like you do in most services and tell them where you would like to go and and all the subcategories of that. And they, uh, I put down Shore Station, you know, West Coast. And my friends are like, you're crazy. They're never going to give you a Shore Station West Coast. They gave me a Shore Station really? West Coast. Well, what, just go back to when you said this is an R&R &R location and you know, wartime R and R's rest and recuperation. So, what were the E sixes and E sevens? How? What the hell were they recuperating from? Rest and relaxation. Oh, rest and relaxation. 
Well, in wartime, it was recuperation. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much. For, I mean, they might have called it relaxation, mm-hmm. but it was recuperation for most of Oh, yeah. Our only war at that time was war on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't have nothing like that going on. So how many hours did you actually work a week? That's the beauty of it. Um, again, they... They brought me in, and they brought in about another 25 or 30 E2s and 3s, basically, um, because they had no positions on ships because they overmanned my rate. So the only place they could put us was on shore stations. Um, So when I got there, I'm not lying to you. When I got there, uh, the chiefs and first classes and a few second classes, whatever, They'd be at work any time, say, around 8 o'clock. There was no muster. And then about 10, 10 they would go over small stores, and there was occasions where they would be drunk by noon and call in and say, I'm going home. I'm too drunk to go to work. That is no kidding. Now, when we get there, it was pretty lax, and it was pretty nice, but it wasn't that good anymore. So... Um, we would have to be, and when we first got there, you'd have to be at work at eight o'clock, somewhere around there. If you was 10 minutes late, no big deal. Cause we didn't have a muster. And then you could get off any time after that. Sometimes at noon, sometimes earlier, sometimes you might work till five o'clock, but it was, it varied quite a bit. The beauty of it. And anybody who's been in the military knows about duty. And you got duty sections in the Navy. And usually when you're on a ship, it could be what they call port and starboard or two-section duty. Or it could be three-section duty, which is pretty common. And what duty stands for, for the people who don't know the military, it's when you have to stay on base for 24 hours and you stand a watch, which is usually four hours. You carry a weapon and you patrol or you do whatever. One or two or three guys, whatever's doing that, the rest of the duty section has to be in the barracks, has to be on base. Well, two, three section duty was pretty commonplace. We had nine section duty. Nine. It was, and again, before I got there, the duty section would sometimes buy the beer. It was, it was, it was great. It was great. Now, it got a little harder you know, with all of us young bucks being there. So they started to get a little more uh, restrictive of us, if you will. Um, we had to, they were a little bit stronger on being there on time and and what have you, but it was still, a, it was a great mm-hmm. base. We had a great commanding officer. I had a great division officer who would really, he was like what I understood back in Vietnam he would be somebody you would protect, not shoot in the back. Yeah. He would yeah. go to task for us, and we would do anything for that man. So, so when when you were out there, uh, you were basically an E three when you mm-hmm. went out. Correct. When did you get promoted? How long did it take? Every six months, you have to, you can take a test. You don't have to. You can yeah. take a test. To to come up to the next rank, but you have to have time in service and time in rank um, in the Navy. You don't get, there's nothing given as far as your your rank. Um, so when I had the first opportunity to take it, I didn't get into the top, I don't know what it was, 20 percentile or something that you have to to get that. But the second time I did. So I got as far as I could uh, as 
which was an E4 when I got out after four years. Yeah. Um, after four years in service, now I could apply or and then take the test for E5. But yeah. well, E4 see, when, I, when I was in, uh, I was in E4. I got because I, I had I had time in the National Guard, so mm -hmm. yeah, I got PFC rating. You know, basically right right after MP school. But in MP school, well, there was, you know, in, in our company, I think there was maybe 46 that made it to the end. Well, only four of us got a 951 rating, which is like just like being a cop, service police. The rest were either security guards or combat MPs. But what I found out when I went to the canal zone, I was in E4, and when I start doing other people's jobs and going E5 or E6 jobs, the rank was frozen in the MPs for eight years because, well, good duty, you know, good duty. But so I was actually my my second year there most when I was playing baseball which was three months I, I held an E6 job but I, the rank didn't start opening up until I was getting ready to be discharged and if I would have stayed in uh, company commander told me said so he said in three weeks I'm going to have three openings for E5 he said you'll get one he says then I'll send you to, uh, to uh, Fort Clayton that was on the Pacific side for six months, and I'll bring you back. I'll have an E6, got an E6 retired. So he said, you'll, you'll be an E6 before you're 24 years old. So I thought, boy, that's good, but... Really, I didn't, I didn't care. <laughs> I, I said, oh, I'm out of here. So you can make me, yeah, you can give me your job, Captain. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not staying. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so uh, E4, and then were you, you were living off base. Yeah. Let me, let me back up and tell you a little story about that, your rank. When I went into advanced electronics, I actually signed up, sort of, for six years. But you can't do that, per se. Oh. Okay? So when you get done with your A school, um, you can get then your C school. Okay? So when you take the C school, which is more advanced training, you have to sign up for those next two years, right? So by the time I've been in there, I'm like you. It's like, nope. I got to get out too of much, here. Too uh, much regimentation. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a conformist this way. I can't do this. So I'm going to try to shave that off. So I had to keep my grades. This is really the tricky part um, when I'm in A school. If your grades were 80% up, 80 and up, you didn't have to go to weekend school, right? But if your grades were under 80, then you had to go to weekend school. Well, my buddy again, Paul Mall, he was up in Great Lakes and he had a car and he was coming home every weekend. So, by God, I want to come home every weekend. 
But if my grades were high, they would they wouldn't make you, but they would really make it hard on you to not take that C school. So I had to dance in between there and keep my grades right at 80, you know, just above it so I could go home on the weekends and yet wouldn't get, you know, pushed to take that C school. So I get done with school and the senior chief calls me in. He said, Geyser, he said, your grades ain't quite there, but he said, you know, I think you're good enough that you could take a C school. And I said, <laughs> I said, chief, you know, buddy, I can do better at hands-on. I think I want to go to the fleet. I think I want to get out of here and just go to the fleet. I, do, I don't know. I don't know, Kaiser. I think you can do that. I said, yeah, I think I want to go to the fleet. I want to get hands-on this stuff, right? So I lied my ass off is what I did. And then they they went ahead and, and I didn't have to take that extra two years. But if I'd have took that extra two years, I was what you would call a push button. They would automatically give me that E4. 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 So because I had E3 out of boot camp because okay. I was in, sure, okay. you know, right in boot camp. My sign up, I was E3. So then they would give you, when you take your C school, you get an E4, and that's the push button. But I didn't take that, and I didn't, I wanted out too. I, yeah. didn't, I had enough. Yeah. So, uh, so you spent four years. Basically, what were your last three years you were doing the same job? Yeah, actually over three years. Uh, I went in September and went out to Seal Beach, California in May. So it's a little over three years. Um, and when you got there, this was a this is a great little base. It really was. But the barracks were like 1942 model and they were pretty dingy. But what they gave us, since we were, again, we were these young bucks coming straight out of school to a base that was basically R&R. And they didn't have a chow hall for us. We ate with the Marines. Now, God love the Marines, you know, <laughs> but they hated us. And But I tell you what, that chow hall was outstanding. Really? It was good, but it wasn't our chow hall, so we didn't get to go there. We didn't want to go there. Uh, they paid us BA, or they paid us comrades, which is commuted rations. So they would pay us, and we had a kitchen in the barracks, and they would pay us to eat. And it's like, heck, yeah. In the barracks. Absolutely, in the so barracks. So they didn't give you a per diem where you could eat off post or anything? No, just they yeah. give us so much money a month, which wasn't much, obviously, back then. But we would go to the grocery stores or we would go to the commissary, whatever, get our food, and we would cook it ourselves and stuff. And that was a great gig, but all of us young bucks, you know, you're going to get a cross-section of society. And some of those guys, they would have... Uh, electric skillets in their room oh, and you know the captain pulled a surprise inspection on us the one week and there was electric skillets with grease in them and old chicken bones and dungarees over the top and stuff and he'd look in the refrigerator and nothing in there was pardon my French horse cock which is bologna <laughs> yeah. and uh, I still he, eat fried bologna sandwiches oh, at yeah. least once a week oh, at yeah. least they're, they're fine but <laughs> captain's like nope we're taking commuter rations away from these guys. They don't know how to use it. Uh, and you're going to the chow hall to eat with the Marines. And it's like, damn. Okay, well, we did. So we had to go to the chow hall. So what, for our part of it, we had to supply two people all the time to work in the chow hall. To work, you know, to work, you know, doing dishes or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, KP. So um, everybody had to take their share um, which was 
you know, you'd have to do it for, I believe we did it for one month. I think it was a month at a time. Probably the worst month of my life in the Navy. I mean, because they didn't like us. <laughs> they didn't. You know, then that's fine. But well, you, you would... know, they probably uh, envied the cushy life. <laughs> Navy gets the gravy and the Army gets the beans, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and the Air Force is better than the Navy. Oh, yeah, they have the people Air, clean Air, their rooms. Air, Air Force is like country club. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty It's pretty cush. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we had to, we had to supply somebody over there, and I mean, I I'll tell you another quick story. We had a sergeant, and uh, he really hated us. I mean, he <laughs> really hated us. So we'd have to work under him. So he would put me in what they call a deep sink, which was a, like a big farm sink, a big deep sink for all the big pots and pans yeah. and stuff. And he said the water had to be so hot. Well, you could not put your hand in that water. And he wouldn't give you rubber gloves, wouldn't oh give you anything. God. And it was, and he would be up in your grill all the time. I mean, he, he was, he was, he was hard to take. So I, he had made me mad uh, this one evening. And I come back and I was so mad. I was so mad. And our lockers in the barracks were these big compressed board wood cabinets like and my buddies were in my room and I come in there I open that door and I hit it so hard I was so pissed off and they're like jeez Chaz easy what's up it's like and I won't use those expletives here but I have a navy mouth and I can do it quite well so it's like I looked at my hand and lo and behold I broke it oh jeez so and it wasn't on purpose But I broke it, and you could see it, and I shook it off. And then uh, the next morning, I had to be there bright and early as usual, like 4.30 or 5 o'clock, went in there, and I told him that I hurt my hand, and, and that sergeant didn't care, didn't care one iota. So I told him I needed to go dispensary. Well, he couldn't deny that. So I go over to the dispensary, and it's a Navy dispensary, and I go in there, and the doctors looked at me, and he said, who'd you hit? I said, I didn't hit anybody. He goes, no, you can tell me. Who'd you hit? I said, I didn't hit anybody. I said, I came home. It was dark in my room, and I fell over the footstool and, and hit my hand. And Take a shell with the <laughs> yeah. yeah. He goes, no, really. No, <laughs> really. Who'd you hit? I said, nobody. So I didn't lie. I didn't hit yeah. anybody. He goes, well, I haven't seen anybody in here with a black eye or busted jaw, so I guess I have to take your word for it. So yeah. He said, we got to put you in the cast. He says, looks like you don't have to do KP. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to, because with a cast, you can't get in that deep sink. So it's like, yes, so I can finish the rest of my tour at KP. And he put me in the storeroom, which I was just fine with that. Yeah. Keep me away from you. So, so. when, when uh, I'm sure you got reenlistment talks before you were discharged. Oh, yeah. The Re- three of them. No, they just, we would sing a song, re-up, and buy a brand new car, re-up. Because <laughs> I, I had to have three. I had, uh, one, the first one was company commander, the second one was the uh, first sergeant, and uh, he knew I was going, so we just talked about everything else. And and the, the third one with the company commander, uh, we were we were pretty tight, so we just 
sat around. It was a half hour talk, and we talked about his kids and you know how I helped him out coaching baseball and got got his one boy kind of on track because he was kind of an arrogant little shit and I straightened <laughs> him out and and, uh, and he sat at the other end of the bench and did, he didn't care whatever I did was fine but anyway uh, so when you were in four years now were you still in Great Lakes where you were in, when you got discharged and were you in California I was in California and, uh, okay so, when you got discharged, what's the difference from when you went in and when you came out? Or were you the same? Oh, far, far from it. No. Uh, again, you know, small Midwestern town boy, you know, going there and then you go to Southern, sunny Southern California. And it's like, it's a wake up call. It's like, oh, this is what real life is. So I think I got a little bit more world savvy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that way and um, learned a lot of things I can't tell you here. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you grow up, you really do. I mean, anybody in the military, if you it, it, I mean, it makes a man out of you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it just does. You grow up. You have to. Yeah. You have a choice. Well, so when you, uh, did, when you got discharged in California, did you come home right away or stay out there for a while? Um, we had it planned. I had a, a, a very, very good friend of mine that was my roommate when we lived off base. By the way, we, when we were on base, lived in the barracks, we got comrades, but then, that barracks was such a uh, shithole um, that I we there some of us had actually had part time gigs uh, in town, and I did. I worked at a gas station, and uh, I I got a, an apartment with um, a local boy here, Gary Anykang, that some people may know. He moved out to California. We got an apartment together, and then I talked. Uh, I, I wanted Wait, to get. Scary, that's Walt's dad. That's Walt's dad. Walt's okay. dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's Walt's dad. So we had an apartment together, and then um, he decided to move to Texas. And uh, my buddy, my best friend out there, uh, his name is Mike Yackley. We call him Yak. Um, he uh, he wanted to move in, but he couldn't afford it, really. And so what I did was I requested a captain's mast and went to see the captain, which you don't do very often for sure i mean if you go in to see the captain it's usually because you screwed up yeah. and you got to go get a mass and they're gonna they're gonna take it out on you but um so i went to did what they call a request mast and went to see the captain captain mathis and he was so cool he was a nice guy he offered me a cup of coffee and put his feet up on the desk everything it's like yeah. ah, this captain's all right so he asked me what I was there for, and I told him, I said, I'd like to get BAQ and Comrats. And uh, he goes, yeah, you want to do that? And I said, yeah. I said, I'm living off base now. And so my chief uh, went with me, Chief Caples, and he says, what do you think, Chief? And Chief says, hey, his uniform is always uh, in order. He's always on time. He's, he's, he's fairly well-groomed, although I'd push that envelope a little bit. 
And uh, he said, yeah, I don't see any problem with it. And so Mathis says, all right, you put it down that anybody wants, wants BAQ and comrades, if the chief and the division officer sign the chit and say it's cool, then it's good by me. I'll, I'll sign it. And it's like, cool. So I got BAQ and comrades for all my buddies. And it was great. So uh, Yak lived with me off base. And then when I got out, get back to your question, um, he had went from Seal Beach to a ship, but we were going to get out about the same time. So I took terminal leave and, and saved up my leave so I could get out when he gets out. And his parents flew down from Portland, Oregon, and we got in my 1956 Chevy, which is Nellie. She's nicknamed Nellie. And we put our two Harleys on, the, on a trailer behind it, and the four of us drove up to Portland, Oregon. So... Um, we spent a couple weeks up there riding our Harleys around, checking out, you know, his hometown and the beauty of the Northwest. And, and then we put the Harleys back on the trailer and towed them back to, to Batesville to, uh, um, for, and we were back in time for my birthday. So that was a long trip, but, um, went flawlessly. And then from here, that's what the, the adventure, that's when the adventure began because we spent about a week or so here week and a half and then we jumped on the harleys again then we we took off and we went to uh went up to detroit went across into canada went all the way across canada niagara all the way up to portland oregon oh or not, i'm sorry portland maine because he was from portland oregon he went to see the other and then we traveled all the way down to key west florida on our harleys and then uh, came back up through nashville we spent six and a half weeks on our bikes wow it was awesome. It was the greatest thing ever. And the the main goal of that was well, obviously to, to take a nice long ride. But we um, visited Navy buddies that we had in, you know, out in California and what have you. But we never told them we were coming. So we would oh, surprise really? them. Yeah, I'm pretty notorious oh, wow. for that. And it was we scared a couple of them. <laughs> really scared them. I mean, Corjay, we really scared him. I mean, he walked around for about an hour in a stupor. <laughs> he couldn't believe it. Well, yeah, that, that'd be a great trip. I it mean, was. Uh, and so, basically, a couple months or so before you decide to work. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'd saved up some money, so I didn't have to, and then... I went to college then to Ivy Tech, but, um, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I got out. I mean, I'd have electronics training, but here's, here's the one thing. And I try to talk to kids who are going to join, um, to make sure, and I mean, in writing, make sure you have down what you're going to get as far as schooling and stuff. Now I wanted advanced electronics and there were six rates for that. And uh, I wanted aviation because when I got out, I thought, hey, I can use that. I can go to you know, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Lincoln, wherever, mm -hmm. and I can get a job, good job probably. So I wanted aviation. Well, that's where they lied to me. He said he guaranteed me aviation or, I'm sorry, advanced electronics. But he says, no, you'll pick which one of those six once you get in boot camp. That's BS. Because you know, it came back and they hand me my my yeah. uh, my my you know my insignia and it's like what's this and it said it's a fire control technician I said I don't want to be no fireman what are you talking about fire 
And they said, no, no, it's the firing of missiles. You're oh. a missile technician in advanced electronics. And it's like, no, I wanted aviation. I was told I'd get aviation. He said, this is what you are, dude. Yeah. It's like, and that's where I got kind of hosed. Yeah, but it's, uh, so I guess the next question, you, you came back. How old were you when you came back to Batesville? Uh, when I, I actually got back to Batesville at 20, I was 21, but within a week I turned 22. Okay. So yeah, 22. So how did you get involved in the fabrication, the, the, the stuff that you do is, you know, the, the clock tower there? your uh, sculpting, how in the hell did you get involved in that? Is that through Ivy Tech that you started getting training or? Actually, yeah, to, yeah, uh, I guess you could say, it. well, if you go back further, when I was a kid, I always made model cars and I would cut them up, put motors in them and stuff. I was, I, I was, I had friends call me Play Baby because I was always building, tinkering, changing, whatever. So, oh, something I'll tell you, too, before I get to that, there was a, a, an offer to us when we were in the Navy in Seal Beach. Um, Long Beach State College came down to the base and, and put it out to us. They had this new thing, this new thing. It was like a, a survey or a test or something, and you would just you would, you would read it, and you would pick one of two answers this one or that one? Would you rather do this or that? Do you like this or that? Whatever. And there's a whole bunch of questions. And then they would, and I'm putting in air parentheses, they would put it through a computer. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. You know, 1978, 79, whatever. It's like, yeah, it was still ticker tape and stuff. And it was going to come out saying, this <laughs> yeah. is what you have to do with the rest of your life. It's pretty true. That's exactly right. <laughs> And I took it twice, and I still had the results back in my office. And it told me that I was better to work by myself or with a small group of people. The guy called me, the person who did it said, you're artistic. And I looked at him kind of funny. I, and he said, I don't mean that you can draw. He said, I mean artistic in the way that you can look at a watch, and you'll take it apart and figure out how to make it better, how you can change it. And I said, now you're you're spot on because that's what I did as a kid all the time so um, when I got out um, I didn't know what to do I, I was going to go to um, like drafting school Ivy Tech in Columbus and I was talking to my buddy Dale Enikang, uh otherwise known as Hammer and uh, he said you know that's pretty cool but I just can't see you behind a desk for eight hours a day and, and he he opened my eyes. He's like, I'm like, you know, I don't think I can either, to be honest. So, um, but I was interested in Ivy Tech and I could do just about anything to a motorcycle or car except weld it. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm going to try welding. So I went down to, again, vocational school in Versailles for a night class and was scared to death of the welder thinking I was going to get electrocuted, electrocuted. And I didn't know how to weld to save my butt. And the guy there really was not an instructor, but he said, we take this, do this, this, but he wasn't an instructor. It was really, the night course was really for welders who wanted to practice. Mm -hmm. So first night though, I thought, this is cool. Came home, told dad, I need a welder. 
this is cool. I love this. And I didn't even know what I was doing. So I went back to the high school and talked to Mr. Brellich, who was our career counselor back then. And Mr. Brellich says, you need to go to Ivy Tech. He said, they got a program. So went down to Ivy Tech. And uh, here the instructor there is, is Rusty Lind, who's a Batesville guy, you know, Russell Lind. And um, he knew my cousins really well, ran around with them. And uh, we became, became good friends. And he's still at my shop virtually every day now. Is I mean, that right? Oh, yeah, he was there today. He's there almost every day um, helping me do things because we, we work on cars and we build cars mm -hmm. and we customize cars. And I do my artwork and and what have you, and then I fix a lot of people's junk too. So, yeah. and, and you know, I can do, I can weld just about anything out there. I have the equipment and can do that. But so. did you have any thoughts of that while you were in the service? At that none, point? none, just, none. It just kind of, that just kind of happened, you know, naturally. Um, I thought it was cool. I mean, I remember when I was in, in uh, vocational school as a senior, I would actually take the long way to the office to walk by the welding shop to look in the door and would think, man, if you can weld, you can like do anything. You yeah. can make anything, but never really, never really thought about becoming a welder at all. But then after I tasted it, it's like I was hooked. And then I went to end up going to Ivy Tech and doing a year and a half course in about a year and got done with that and did great. I mean, I was about a, B minus student in high school, and I came out of Ivy Tech with a 3.95. Yeah. You know, because I loved it. Yeah. It was great. Well, a, a buddy of mine, he, he, he died this past year, but uh, he started out in the building trades as a pipe coverer, you know, asbestos, and Ugh. he had a yeah. asbestos lung and all that crap. But anyway, he went from that to a fitter. Then he decided to weld, and he was one hell of a welder. I mean, he just uh, and was in demand. What was funny, in the building trades, he decided he would go any place within reason. He bought a little camper, and wherever the overtime was, he would go there. That union guy, when the overtime was off, he has to be laid off. He, so he might work. He might work seven days a week for a month, two months. His wife would come up, bring kids up if he was in like Toledo or something. And then he might stay home for five or six weeks. And as soon as a job came up, the union hall called him, said, we got an overtime job. He says, where's it at? I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm packing. <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, it's... Uh, uh, but he had this knack. He built his own home, and he had this knack at anything he wanted to do. He could do it with his hands. And uh, I can't draw a stick, man. If if I had to make a living with my hands, I would I would be living in a box <laughs> instead of a home. <laughs> so, On the hungry side. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, so you started... When did you actually start your own business? Um, How old? 80, it was 1986. Um, end of 86, so I would have been 27. 
27. I went in business when I was, uh, let's say, my first year in business, 65. So I was 26. Yeah, it's a good so, time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good time to start a business. I have a pot to piss in and a pan to throw it out <laughs> no, of. No, I didn't. Still live with my parents, you know. <laughs> so, that's And that's why I could start a business because... I, I was fortunate enough, since I'm a, a bastard, I mean, an only kid adopted, um, I could live at home and um, started my business there. Because remember, the first year, I made a little over $5,000 gross. Second year, I made a little over $15,000 gross. Third year, well over $30,000. And it's like, now we're starting to get yeah. somewhere. It's building. And then when I retired of the abyss the, from the business officially, which was in 2000. Um, I'm guess I'm proud to say that I was pulling down a hundred thousand dollars myself. The business yeah. was doing very well, but I was burnt out. Yeah. I, I take it all, all a little too serious, I guess. Um, when my name was on it, you know, I didn't micromanage manage my guys. Um, and maybe that's part of the problem because anything that came from, the customers to me came to me, and that's where it stopped. Anything the guys would do wrong or right or whatever that would stop again. So I was the the dam on either side, and, and I just got burnt out. Yeah. And just too much. I, I, did, I did too, in a way. I, I had, uh, and I said this on another podcast. It's a, I'm going to give you my book when, when we're done. But <laughs> okay. When, uh, when I started in business, uh, I had, let's see, Joey was two and a half years old, Laura was 11 months, and, then the, and the, one, the day that I went in business, Donna was three weeks. So, yeah, Irish twins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same year. Uh, so, I had 500 bucks. I borrowed money from Sun Oil Company, Central Trust, and when I went to Central Trust Bank, I had this performance sheet that I worked on, set out. Uh, J.D. Alexander, Jim became president of Central Trust, uh, but he, at the time he was a loan officer. And I had done business with him with Sun Oil Company because I'd bring dealers, get them financed, and if they got in trouble, I told the dealers, we got to get this act straightened. And I said, and by the way, I've got, I'm obligated to let the bank know that you got some problems. So, yeah, 80% of my time was spent on 20% of my dealers when I was with Sun Oil Company. So, anyhow, uh, Jim said, I don't want to look at that. He said, now this was, again, this was in 1965. So he said, I want to know how much you're going to make the first year. I said, I'm going to make $36,000. He said, I'd go to work for you if you made that kind of money. I said, no, but you can buy me a steak dinner because the average wage in 1965 was $6,900. Oh, yeah. So anyway, my first year, I made thirty-nine grand. So six years later, I had 17 different businesses with 200 people working for me. <laughs> I got burnt out. Yeah, you it's it. But you you had balls. I mean, to do it the way you did it with with kids and everything. I for me doing it was 
really was hey. much easier. I had a, I had a, a, how, a safety how much, net. How much money could I have lost? <laughs> 500 bucks? Yeah, well. <laughs> and I knew I could go to work any place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still, you know, when I had a big safety net. I mean, I did. Um, but you had, yeah, it's ballsy. My safety net, Nancy thought she was my safety net. She <laughs> says, do I have to go back to you work? <laughs> She's you know, an RN. And yeah. I, I said, no, you'll never have to work no matter how, hours, how many hours I have to put in you're not you'll never have to do that so it, but it was uh, uh, I, I guess basically I want to get back to what what attributes or what what do you think the service did for you as an individual I mean when you got out and where you're at today what do you think the experience of being in the Navy has done for you um, responsibility, you know, Discipline. integrity, yeah, integrity, integrity, ethics, you know, I think that was instilled in me and to be on time, cheese and crackers. Yeah. If you did have to be at a muster, which we did later on, if you're a second late, you're screwed. Yeah. You know, you, you have to be there. So I've gotten kind of anal retentive about being on time for things, um, but, I've always been that way too. Yeah, I mean it, it's just still. Oh, I still fold my t-shirts the same way too, so I know how to fold laundry. <laughs> well, the one thing I refuse to do is make my bed and drop a dime on it so it bounces. Oh no! But it Hospital took me. Corners. You know, Navy I'm sure was different, but it took me two years before I could ever sleep on a pillow again. We didn't have pillows in the army. You did it? Oh, no. Oh, absolutely not. And then uh, I couldn't understand when I got out how people didn't keep in step when they walked. <laughs> that, that was, I mean, seriously. And I still have to have my gig line straight where, <laughs> yeah. you know, my belt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, I, and here I'm maybe 85 years old. And these crazy little idiosyncrasies are still there. Absolutely. It's instilled in you, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Never never get over it. Are you in touch with some of your buddies now? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Lifelong. People don't, I think people that haven't served don't realize when you're with somebody 24-7, if you're staying in a barracks, the bond is a lot different than grade school and high school and oh, college. Yeah. It's it's. It's not better or worse, but it's just different. And uh, whenever you talk to somebody that you're in the service, there's an instant bond. I mean, even you know, people that I've never met and I talked to. So. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I'm kind of the, the nucleus of, of my buddies um, because before I got out, I had an address book. And I was pretty big on writing back then because we didn't have the Internet. Uh, writing letters home and to friends and stuff. I was pretty good about that, especially in boot camp. I got a lot of letters, and they'd be like, Kaiser, how you come you get so many letters? It's because I write them. Yeah. I write them. And then girls would send me a letter, and they would shoot some perfume on it, and then the mailman in boot camp, 
he'd pull it out and he could smell that. And he's like, oh, here we go. And they would pass it all the way around so all the guys in boot camp would get a sniff before I got my letter. Well, well you know, I, I took out a Nancy a couple times before I before I shipped out to Canals. And I, she knew me from grade school. I didn't know her. And, but anyway, so... And uh, I told her, I said, I'll, I'll drop you a line. She said, yeah, go ahead. I'll write back to you and all that. So anyway... We are right back in a baseball season started, and I mean, uh, and I was, you know, when I, I was TDY, so, I mean, they couldn't even tell me to make my bed in my, my room that I shared with this buddy of mine from Wisconsin. In fact, the uh, first sergeant, they hit an IG inspection, and he says, uh, Inspector General, and he said, uh, you guys got to clean your room up now, so, you know. Said, drank too much beer after that night game last night. We're, we can't. Uh, he said, Well, just sh- shut the door, go to the PX. I said, Nah, we're, we're broke. He said, Finally, he said, How much do you two assholes need to leave this building and go to the PX? I said, Five bucks will do it top. <laughs> so, so, but anyway, all of a sudden, I stopped writing. And Nancy wrote a couple, and then she didn't write for a while. So our future best man, one of my really good buddies, I get this congratulations letter from Nancy on me marrying a Panamanian girl. (laughs) Were you privy to this information before? No, Mac just made it up. (laughs) It's good. I, I wrote her back, and I said, Tell Mac he's an asshole. I said, he does this stuff. I said, I'm not married to anybody. So we start writing again. <laughs> and he, he, was, he was best man in our wedding, but he, he done, he's done things like that to other people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, any before we hang this up, any words of wisdom for any young people or anybody about joining the service because right now, you know, there's about 1% of the population that has been in the service. It's kind of a mess. Um, I don't, I mean, I would recommend it for somebody who I think could do it, but then I'm old school. I come from, you know, 40 years ago in the service and I know it's changed since then. Um, Now they accept or allow you to do things. I mean, if you want to allow the... There's, um, I'm not saying this with any kind of uh, bad intents or anything like that. Um, please understand that. But if you wanted to get out of the Navy when I was in there, you tell them you're gay. <laughs> you were out on your ear in a heartbeat. You were. You know, I mean, you were. Yeah. It's like, and I know that's changed quite a bit yeah. since then, but that's how it was back then. Well, the guys today that are in the join, I mean, they're really bright. My my problem is with some of the leadership. and Yeah, there's some that's, sad leadership yeah. there too now. But uh, I, I think the experience, uh, and again, it's not for everyone, but I think some no, it, it's not, but it's it it really is a. I guarantee, if you go in, 
it's going to be one of the highlights of your life. You're never going to forget it. You're going to see things. You're going to, you're going to meet people. You're going to do things. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an exemplary time. You may not like it at the time. Like you said, you didn't want to stay in and I didn't want to stay in. I often wondered what would happen if I would have. Um, But it's, it's a great time of your life. I mean, really, really is. But, you know, some guys I knew, there was two guys in particular that were on base that I would call friends to a degree for sure. But they were both asked to leave. I said, you guys want out. We're going to, we'll give you a general discharge and you can just leave. You, we just, and they're like, hell yeah, let me out. I don't care what it cost me. I'm out. So you don't want to get out like that. You don't no. want a general. You, you want to, you want to do what you signed up for. You want to have the integrity and the ethics to, to do what you said you were going to do and, and, um, observe your commitment. But, um, and if you're, if you're good for your word and you want an experience, it's a, it's an outstanding experience. It's an outstanding experience. And, and I, th- I think also uh, today they finally, the pay's decent, the retirement's decent. I mean, compared when I was in, I, I, I think as a E4, I was making a, 140 bucks a month or something like that. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, mine was way higher than that. Mine was 399. Yes. I had <laughs> I mean, I 15th of every month I pawned my watch to you know, get beer money. <laughs> Let's go buy it back. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and uh but and you know, my my choice was uh the first 15 days of the month I drank Heineken for at 25 cents a bottle. Ooh. After that, after I start getting really broke, who to pull? That, oh no, Alboa, ten, oh. ten cents a bottle, rot gut, really. nasty. Oh, nasty stuff. Nasty so, stuff. But anyway, I I hope uh, I think this has been fun. I hope everybody listening enjoyed this because it's uh, you're the third one. I've got two to record tomorrow and uh, Christmas coming up. I'll probably take a break until after Christmas uh, yeah. before I re- record anymore but uh, plenty of vets plenty of veterans in Batesville and the yeah. surrounding area you mentioned about you know what I got out of it well let me tell you one more quick thing is when I joined um, my dad I'll never forget it he says well you won't have to worry about health care the rest of your life now that's what my father told me. And it's like, and I'm a young buck. I don't, it's like, health, big deal. Who cares? I, I, I don't mean shit to me. Well, guess what? It's a big deal. Yeah, it's a yeah. big deal. You and know, I, I will, never signed up for the VA. You know what? I'll give, you know, the VA gets a, a bad rap um, a lot. And it's, but you never, never hear all the good. Oh. I'm here to tell you, um, I give them props. I think they treat me better than I deserve because I it did four years. It was not wartime. I served. I didn't fight. Um, you know, I had a really good enlistment, but they treat me well. And I didn't I didn't sign up for VA till I was 50. Well, the uh, VA in Cincinnati's got a really good reputation. I, I love them. I do. Yeah. I mean, they it's still the military and it's still the government and it's still kind of a bureaucracy yeah. and it can be a mess that way. But you just got to accept that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's 
it's wonderful. It allows it allows me not to have to think about that. Yeah, and that's huge. Well, you know, Social Security <laughs> next year. I'm I'm telling you, Medicare and Part A and B, and then we've got this uh, other plan that covers what Medicare doesn't. Part B, you know, mm -hmm. with the bills that Nancy's had, and I've had hip replaced. I've had some other things. We've never paid a dime on anything. God love that. Yeah, except we're we're paying as we get older. Obviously, the premiums keep rising for our Medicare A and B and and for the sub uh, for the. I, I, I think they called it, used to call it a plan D or something. I think it's a plan F, but it's with another insurance company. But as we get older, that keeps going up. And, uh, but it's still one hell of a deal. I mean, Nancy with, with that cancer, hundreds of thousands of dollars that yeah. went through. And, uh, That's a godsend. Yeah. So, yeah, but the VA, it's VA. just, I, I don't want to even go to, to Medicare, which I guess next year I got to make that decision because I'll turn 65 this year. Well, v, you got um, VA for life, though. So why? You do, but, and I can, but they want you to sign. I don't want to take um, Medicare. I don't want to because they treat me wonderful. They do a great job. They give me everything I could want or need. Um, so I don't want to give up. Was it like a hundred and sixty some dollars or something like that a month out of my social security for Medicare? Um, well, and it's like it I doesn't. I wish we were paying that. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> but it's like, I, why would I want to when when I'm going to stay with the VA? Yeah. That's who I want to stay with. Well, the only danger would be. As if some bureaucrat starts cutting corners at the VA. That's the only danger of it. Yeah. Well, you know, we don't have to get into politics, but um, Trump really uh, made the VA, you know, stand up and stand up for its people yeah. and uh, really made it so much better for us because yeah. um, he cared about the vets. So got to give him props for that, whether you like him or not. Um, but yeah, and, yeah, it was and, good. But and who, Biden's got a tranny in government. <laughs> We're not talking to four speed either, are yeah, we? <laughs> he was an admiral at one time. Yeah. And, and that's about the ugliest tranny I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> They're all just sick people. Anyway, let's not get into that. Yeah, let's not get into I, that. I could go on and on. I've, I've tried like hell to keep <laughs> politics out of all my podcasts, but it's it's really difficult. It is difficult yeah. nowadays. Politics I mean, you, takes up everybody's life. You got the it's huge. vegetable commander in chief and, and corrupt vegetable attack. <laughs> so, okay. Well, anyway. Cheers. I want to thank you for being on the podcast. Most welcome. And I thank everybody for listening. And uh, we're going to go out with the national anthem. And uh, God bless everybody. God bless the United States of America. And I will talk to you on the next podcast. <laughs>